jump into the word of the Lord. Um, um, somebody say September 10th. September 10th is going to be Beacon's fourth birthday. Can you help me thank God for that? We're four years old. That, might, that means by now we, we can walk, we can talk. We're kind of sassy. You know what I'm saying? We know what we want. And I'm just grateful that the Lord has been so faithful to this little baby church here in Denver, Colorado, giving us a real opportunity to serve. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to celebrate that. So I want to encourage you to do that as well. Would you do me a favor? Would you, would you grab a few people? that you know have been to Beacon, but you haven't seen in a while, would you call them back to this church and help us celebrate all that God has been doing? We're growing here in this season, and I want to make sure that people know that there's always a Bible-teaching, God-believing, Holy Spirit-led church right in the heart of the city. Amen? Amen. So September 10th, that's our birthday. And then one thing I want to share with you that we, we, we this is kind of a little bit outside because it's not a Beacon thing, but it's a Beacon thing because we're family. How many of y'all know that Pastor Ty also leads his own traveling gospel group? Do y'all know that? See, some of them don't know. Some of them don't know. So Pastor Ty also has a, a, a traveling, beautiful, amazing gospel group called uh, Ty Morris and HOW, Hearts of Worship. And, and they do an amazing thing. What you see on Sundays is church. Amen? But what they do the rest of the time when they travel this country and, and give their gift of music is like church, hip-hop, gospel, R&B. We went and saw them about two months ago at a at a, at a, where was it? Oh, it was at a church, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a church function. And they were in color-coded outfits and they had step dance moves. And I was in the back row like, hey, oh, I was in it. And I don't know, if you haven't seen this, you need to see this. So uh, information should be on the screen. It's coming up September 22nd. I want to show out, church family. You know, this is important for us to celebrate and, and, and to really support one another as God uses us in our gifts. And I want to make sure that Dazzle Jazz Club, which is usually just used to kind of cool jazz, shows out and sees what we can do in Jesus' name. Amen? So I want to encourage you to get those tickets and be with us in the place. And then just two things, and I'll get out of your hair. Um, we're growing, and we're getting ready to expand, and so I want to continue to encourage you to serve in this church. Last week, I made much of it and really explained the value of service. I'm not going to do that here because we're teaching a little bit on growing and building the church here in our passage in Galatians today. But I want to encourage you to serve specifically today in the curtains. If you're new to our church, you can look up behind you in that balcony, those black and white stripes up there. That's actually a soundproof wall that we build every morning. And there's a diligent team of people who come in super early and build that. And I need four more people to strengthen that team specifically for people. So if you're here and you feel like it's my time to serve, I want to encourage you to go into the app and register and pick a team, pick the curtains team because they could use your help. Amen? Amen. Also, you can do everything that you need to do here in our church in the app. Best way to do it is text the, the word beacon to the number 97,000. You can set up a meeting with me. You can request prayer. You can listen to our sermons. You can join a team, join a small group. Uh, and you can even give in the app, and it's the easiest way to give. That's the way that I do it. Giving is a part of our culture here at this church. We believe we have a generous God, and as such, we should be generous people. Amen? Amen. Amen. There should be several ways that you can give online right behind me. Let me show that real quick. Amen. Uh, you can give in the app. You can give online. You can give via text, and everything that you give helps us to continue to, to be a church right here in the part of the city where there are few churches and where the need is so great. And so I want to encourage you to be faithful in that. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads? I want to pray over our gift this morning and our time. And while we do that, I'm going to ask Pastor Josh to come up. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, I thank you that we, uh, we get to sow where you're going. God, we do not consider giving 
an obligation but a privilege. It really is an honor that we might be a part of what you're doing in our city. And so, Father, today, with every gift that we sow, I ask that you'd bless it, that as it leaves our hands, it never leaves our life, and that you would take it and multiply it as you are so well to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Josh, what you got for us today? Yes, we have our small group for a night in Stoke. So all of our youth that's ages 10 through 17, let us stand up. Where's all our, where's all our youth? Come on, let's give him a hand. <laughs> so cool. So cool. Family, would you stretch your hands toward our youth this morning? We're going to bless them on their way out. Father, we pray that you will bless them and keep them. Pray that you make your face shine upon them. May you be gracious unto them. May you lift up the countenance upon them and give them peace now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right, so we have the doors and silence at the back, right by the uh, Bible bars. So go ahead and um, head toward them. And we're going to go across the street. All right. Amen. Amen. We're turning it back over to our pastor. Thanks, Pastor Josh. Appreciate you. Uh, for all of our kids that are exiting out, if you're wondering where they're going, they're literally going across the street to a bar. In Jesus' name. That's right. We rented out the bar across the street so our youth can have a ministry. And Pastor Josh and Ladores, his whole team, they got it decked out. They got their own pool table and darts game. I mean, it really looks like the perfect youth hangout club. And I'm grateful for all of our partners here in the city. We've just been so blessed to be uh, right here in this part of the city and doing what we do. We, we've, we've just had uncommon favor. And so the guy who actually owns this building owns that. And he, he reached out to me and he was like, Pastor, I just love what you're doing. If you ever need anything, you let me know. And so when COVID hit, we live streamed in that bar. And when I told him about our youth thing, he was like, just come use it. And it's just awesome to see how, how the Lord is raising up helpers for our ministry. Amen. Amen. Do you all have your Bible? Say, yeah. yeah. Would you do me a favor? Would you open your Bible to the book of Galatians? We start today in chapter 6. Galatians 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 to you today. We're continuing this series in Galatians, a series we entitled Maturing Faith. If you're new to the church, we are what's called an expository church. We teach all of the Bible all the way through. And so we, we teach book by book. We don't cherry pick passages. We teach the whole text in context to alleviate the potential for subtext. And we are right now just about to close out this series in Galatians. We're technically in week 18 of what, no, 19 of what's supposed, what was supposed to be 16 weeks in Galatians. So uh, I'm grateful for your faithfulness and, and so grateful for what the Lord has been opening our hearts up to understand. Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Do you have it? Say yeah. yeah. Amen. Let's read it in your hearing. It says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own works, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
And let us not grow weary of doing good, but in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. The title of our message here today is Your Ministry. Do me a favor, take your hand of strength, put it on your heart, say, my ministry. Your ministry starts right here and right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you for the urging of the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatea that translates across eons to us today and gives us a path that allows us to walk by faith, to bear much fruit, and to fulfill the law of Christ. Now, God, today, would you remove from us anything that might prevent us from hearing your word clearly? Would you soften our hearts and open our minds that we might be humble and ready to receive from you? Now, God, remove from me anything that is unlike you. Have your way in me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've really kind of worked our way up to this. We've spent just about 18 weeks walking through this letter that Paul pens to the churches that he planted in what is now modern-day Turkey. And a few weeks ago, we talked about his clear warning of the works of the flesh, those things that when practiced habitually or become a lifestyle, prevent us from walking into inheriting or receiving eternal life. That is life eternal with Jesus, our King. And last week, we, we ended that section with a clear understanding of the fruits of the Spirit, the beautiful, wonderful fruit that is born through the life of every believer when they are urged and led by the Holy Spirit. We talked about these supernatural gifts, these things that come out of us that, frankly, if you're being honest with yourself, if I'm being honest with myself, there's simply no way that I could produce things like peace and gentleness, patience, kindness. And we talked at a great length about one of them, the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned only once in the Bible in Galatians, temperance or self-control. The supernatural ability by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in the life of every believer to resist temptation and to choose righteousness when presented with iniquity. And then today, I think all of that has led us up to a clear understanding of asking the question, so then what? Because it's one thing to know all of the things you can't do. Amen? It's one thing to be warned in church with a finger pointing at you, no, no, no. And it's a whole nother thing to be told what you can do. But oftentimes, many of us need to understand the why behind it. How many of you are the kind of people that ask why all the time? Someone, there you go, quick hand. Did you see that? She was like, I need to know the why right now. It's written on the top of my page. Some of us are not very well pleased with simple information. Sometimes we need to know what's the motive behind this? What's the reason behind Who wrote this and why should I go after this? And I'm grateful that Paul understands that part of human nature, understood this part of the church in Galatea and allows us to ask that question. Today we answer the question, why? Why are we called to walk away from sin and why does he give us the opportunity to bear much fruit? Essentially what Paul writes about today is what we're supposed to do with all this for one another. I want to be really careful about the way I choose my words today because there's going to be some super clear text teaching that I want to make sure you don't think is my teaching, but the word of God's teaching. So I'll just say it plain and trust that you trust me that this word is saying this. This is Paul's instructions about why the church matters. 
and why you are called to serve the church. And I say it like that so that you know that I'm not standing up here teaching and saying, you need to go to church, you need to give to church, you need to serve a church, you need to be in the church because I believe in church because it's my job. I've heard this as a critique from a lot of people who deconstruct their faith. They say, well, of course the pastor asks you to give. It pays his paycheck. It's of his self-interest that you give and serve and help the business go because if you don't make the business go, he can't buy the things he wants. I've heard this. And it's an easy critique to be fooled by, to think that there are those of us who would stand up and craft a narrative that would allow you to benefit me. But the inverse is true. And I want to tell you today that you should reject any notion of anyone who critiques the church and says that all pastors are self-interested. If you knew what it was like to be a pastor, you'd never say it again. This is by far the most important job I've ever had a chance to do and easily the hardest job I've ever had. No one gossips about you when you do good for them. Come on, somebody. I don't tell you to give, serve, attend, and grow in the church so it benefits me. I work at the church because God tells us all to serve and grow and give and attend at the church. The Bible is very clear about the value of the gathering of the saints. He calls it the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. We're called to be all in, all together, all one. And God thinks it's so important that he's convinced me to give my whole life to it. And so when I invite you to be a part of this thing, I'm not inviting you to do anything I haven't done. And there's a whole group of leaders here in this church who feel the same compelling, the same pull, that despite the fact that they've run from the call of God, despite the fact they've run from God's word over their life, despite the fact that it's hard and every day they wonder if they've got the strength to do it. They can't say no to God because the church matters in Jesus' name. And so my instructions for you today are to understand just why this church matters and why you matter in the church. Amen? So we're going to talk about three kind of ministries that the apostle writes in this text. And I'm telling you right now, every one of us is called to ministry. You are called to ministry. And you might say, Pastor, I can't preach. And that's what I said the first time I ever preached. I cannot preach. But I had a pastor who said you might be gifted. In fact, fun story. I have a friend here today. Pastor Stephen Cartwright is in the building. Would you help me thank God for Pastor Stephen Cartwright? Pastor Stephen Cartwright is going to be with us in December to preach for us, and he is one of the most dynamic preachers you will ever hear. When he preaches, the paint will peel off the wall and come to an altar call. It's phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it. But when I was up and coming, called into ministry by my pastor, I, I, I felt the call and couldn't say no to the call. And I had a pastor who was bold enough to say, why don't you just start trying? Why don't you just start operating in the gifts? And he organized for me and many other young pastors within our church an opportunity to do what he called a preacher circle. And what it was is six or seven of us gathered together every other Saturday to preach to each other, to get better to each other. It's something I do with our pastors and any young person who's called into ministry. And by this time, uh, Pastor Cartwright had already been leading a dynamic youth ministry and preaching across the country. He had the juice, amen? And my first preacher circle, I showed up in all of my naivete and hubris. And I had written a message that I thought was really good. I preached it to Chanel, and she was like, I guess it's good. I don't even know how to critique that. And I walked into that preacher's circle, and I, I, I spit fire. I mean, I'm telling you what, I exegeted the text, and I put out some applications, some good illustrations, and I was proud of myself. And the way that a preacher circle works is you preach, and they critique. Amen. And I finished, and I closed that Bible like this. I was like, amen. And I went and sat down. And what would happen is when men around the room would stand up, and they would they'd give you honest feedback. And uh, 
And Pastor Cartwright was gracious enough to be the first one to stand up. And he said, wow, I don't know where to begin. And I was like, tell me about it. I mean, it was good. And he was like, nah, bro, you don't even know what you're talking about. And it was true. I did not know what I was talking about. And I was grateful, hear me, to have a man like Stephen Cartwright in my life and other friends in my life who had the boldness to tell me the truth. Come on, somebody. Tell me where I'd missed the mark. Come on, somebody. And tell me how I could get better. It made me stronger as a believer immediately, better as a preacher over time. And I will tell you today, I'm not the preacher I am today had I not had a friend like Pastor Cartwright get in my corner within the context of church and help me grow. Amen? Amen. And so all of I'm talking about today is what good comes from the us and why we're all called to ministry, all called to serve each other, and all called to help each other grow in Jesus' name. And there's three ministries that the Apostle Paul calls us to. Verses 1 through 5, he tells us about the ministry of correction. And this is the hard one. He says, and I'll read it again, brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, those who walk by the spirit, should restore him. That word restore, it's a medical term actually in the original Greek. It means to set the bone correct. Amen? How many of you ever seen somebody break their nose and in order to make sure that the nose is not broken in the wrong direction and they can actually breathe, seen a doctor put their thumbs on both sides of a nose. Have you all ever seen this before? And re-break the bone so that they can be healed. This is the conversation the Apostle Paul is having with us today. For if any one of us falls into and is stuck in a transgression, falls into one of these works of the flesh that we talked about two weeks, finds out that the temptation is not just come their way, but overcome their way so that their way has become sin, you, every one of us, all of us who have been led by the Spirit, he says, you who are spiritual are called to restore each other. How many of you love having hard conversations? Do I have any people just love hard? Three, four, five. Some of y'all like it. Amen. Now, the rest of y'all, how many just hate hard conversations? Am I right? Double hands. She's like, I won't even do it. I'm not a fan of hard conversations. One of the things I've discovered in hard conversations is the hardest part is the part leading up to the conversation. You ever psych yourself out about a hard conversation? You're just so freaked out about it, and then you do it, and they're like, okay, cool. And you're like, well, what was I worried about? <laughs> Most of us are hard conversation averse. We, we don't like conflict. We don't like to ruffle feathers or, or break the mold or break the norm. And, and, and that's actually one of the reasons why the church suffers so much, specifically when it comes to righteousness. Hear me. The church is not dying. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the church in North America is dying, that the American church is dying, because it's not. It was under attack, and it nearly got taken out during COVID. But I don't know anybody across the country who's leading a church right now who isn't seeing supernatural growth in spirit, in truth, in depth, in walk, in life. God's church is going forward. Amen? 
And I've seen plenty of churches that are growing in many beautiful, wonderful ways. But it is true that most churches across the world, specifically those in the Western Hemisphere, are struggling to grow in righteousness. The numbers are there. The show is good. The performance is fantastic, and they operate in excellence. But we have a lot of people who are in church, churchgoers and church people, who are not growing in righteousness. And the reason is because a lot of us are afraid to tell each other the truth. I don't mind if you... If I just tell you the truth today, you have got to be honest with each other about sin. We have to tell each other the truth. We're called to restore each other. You say, Pastor, man, I'm not perfect. I hear this all the time. How can I be the one to tell somebody when they're not living right? I got my own things going on, Pastor. It wouldn't be right of me to, to judge them. If anyone is caught in any transgression, read the word caught. If any of us is trapped and snared and caught up in anything that's going to take us out, you who are spiritual, which one is that? Is that me? Is that, is that just the deacons? That's just the prayer team, right? No, that's, that's, that's you who have been walking by faith. Not perfect. No, doesn't say perfect. Doesn't say perfect. It says you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Here's the instruction. It's super clear, super plain. There is no way out. Amen. There's some instructions in the Bible that are from, for certain people. But this one, is ain't for certain people. This is for all of you and there's no escape clause. Amen? We are each called to restore each other. And we're each called to do it gently with an, one another. It says that. You should restore with a spirit of gentleness. This is one of the fruits of the spirit that we just learned about last week. It's, it's one of the wonderful things that the Lord gives birth to through you, for other people. And the reason that this matters is because if if you overlook sin in someone's life, if you just negate the fact that they're stuck in something that you know they're struggling with, if you just pretend like it doesn't work, what happens is they grow deeper in it. They don't walk out of it. And let me just say this to you in a real hard fashion. Overlooking sin doesn't help anybody and never has. You got somebody in your row right now. You got somebody in your friend group right now. And you know they're stuck in something they shouldn't be in. It is time. Today is the day to say, I love you so much to tell you this truth. But that thing has you caught up. And it's time we restore you back to the place you're called to be in. But so many of us are so averse to having hard conversations. And so many of us, when caught in our sin, subconsciously know that and stay in our sin because no one has said anything to us yet. 
How many times have you been stuck in something you knew at first was not right, but over time, no one told you it was wrong, and the conviction that you had at first begins to degrade, and something that someday, that, that thing that you knew was a sin no longer feels like a sin. Am I talking to anybody here today? You knew it the first time you did it. Ooh, it was taboo. Ooh, it was wrong. I hope the church doesn't find out. But then you walked in it for so long, and no one said anything. No one found out. You kept quiet about it, that suddenly that becomes your life. That's the conversation we're having here, is that the moment we see that someone's struggling because we love them, because we're the body, we come alongside them and say, we got to get things right. And we might have to re-break this bone and it's going to hurt. Because it's true, sometimes these hard conversations hurt. I don't know anybody who loves to be rebuked. Though with spiritual maturity comes the embrace of rebuke. The Apostle Paul says, We've got to do this for one another. And in verse 4, he says, but, but keep in mind that while this is a community thing, you also have to pay close attention to yourself. Verse 4, he says this, but let each one also test his own work, then his reason to be boast will be in himself. Here's the truth. We are called to care for each other, to be honest with each other, to tell each other hard truths so that we can walk away from the things that the enemy uses to entrap us. But we have to also be honest with other people, not just about their sin, but our sin. This is the part that I think maybe most of us struggle with. Because if you get real Christian, sometimes you get real bold and you're like, Pastor, who's sinning? You set me at them. I'll tell them what's up. And if I were to tell you, it's you sinning, never mind, I don't want to talk about it. Most of us really struggle with not only having hard conversations with others, but allowing others to have hard conversations with us. And so we grow remarkably silent when it comes time to talk about our sin. Oh, we make a lot of noise when it's time to praise and worship. Oh, we love to celebrate. Oh, we love to talk about the good things. How you doing? I am blessed and highly favored and say nothing. And the Bible says you got to be understanding of this. We are called to help each other, but don't you think for one second that the us imputes righteousness into the single individual. You better test your own works. Take a close look at yourself. You need to get real comfortable at being a mirror looker. That means every morning, give yourself a good look. And where you know there's iniquity and know there's conversations to be had, you start having them with yourself. And when you can't walk out of it of your own, reach out to somebody in the church and say, I need your help. I know this isn't flashy gospel teaching, <laughs> but this is practical gospel teaching that if you miss, you could be in here and be the best shouter in the church and still stuck in iniquity and no one knows because you play a killer game. And I'm not trying to build a church full of people with wonderful church hats and crazy praise break dances, but they don't have no righteousness, they don't have no vulnerability, they don't have no culture, they don't have no community. If we don't have the us, we have a show and it ain't worth it. Y'all with me? And he's teaching this because he wants us to understand that there is corporate assistance. We get to help each other. And you will be stronger here in the church than you will be all by yourself. And the gospel's never called us to be believers in Christ all by ourselves. There's corporate help, but personal accountability. You better be very mindful of the fact that while your relationship with Jesus and our faith is communal, it is also equally personally intimate. And if you're not honest with God, you may fake us, but there will come a day where you will show up and he will say, 
depart from me. And we will all be shocked. Did they not prophesy in his name? Did they not worship and dance? Did they not lead? Yeah, they did all those things. But it was from, well, not the heart. This is the ministry of correction, and I'm going to tell you right now, we need this. In fact, I want to share an area of my life where I need this. Two weeks ago, when we talked about the works of the flesh, I was teaching through the 15, the list of 15, though not all encompassing, a good example of 15 common ways the enemy can get us trapped in a lifestyle of sin that prevents us from eternal life. And I specifically got to talking about drunkenness. And I spoke about drunkenness in a a way that I believe is a good application of the Bible, which is to understand that anything that changes our mental capacity, anything that inebriates us, prevents us from fully engaging with God. And so the Bible demonstrates for us that you can drink wine. Jesus drank wine, but Jesus never got drunk. That's why the Bible says, do not get drunk. It's not that you can't have a sip. It's that the sip can't have you. Amen? And I said it in such a manner that may have been misinterpreted. In my small group this week, one of the deacons who's in my small group, a man who I cherished, he asked me a question. He said, did you also mean that we could not, as a church or anyone in the body of Christ, take mental health medicine? Because that oftentimes changes the way people think. And I said, no, of course not. I I believe in medicine. If if you've been prescribed and you're in therapy and you need that, that's phenomenal. There's no stigma and nothing wrong with that. When the body is sick, the body should be treated. And he said, but you know what? I got to be honest with you. While it's not affecting me, someone may have interpreted the the way that you spoke as though you said nothing that changes the way that our brain works is allowed. And so let me correct it. That's good correction from a friend. Because that wasn't my intention, but the way it came out could have been misinterpreted. And I would have missed it, and you could have been in this church and been like, I'm literally suffering from depression, and my pastor said, if I take medicine, I'm going to hell. And that wasn't my heart. So I'm grateful to have a church that holds me accountable. Amen? Just like you knew, you do. You need to have people who will hold you accountable, even if your intentions are good. So here it is. You can't get drunk. You shouldn't get drunk. You shouldn't get high, and you shouldn't take anything that changes the way that you think so that your cognition is gone. You cannot be inebriated and expect that the Holy Spirit would dwell within that temple. Does that make sense? But medicine is A-OK in Jesus' name. In fact, the Apostle Paul even writes to Timothy, and he says, you should drink a little bit of wine. I know you got a sour stomach. That, that's good medicine right there in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. I share that with you as an example so that you'll understand that being part of the foundation of this church, being part of a congregation is of value to me. I'm not just the pastor. I'm a member. And I need your help. And it would be wrong of any one of us to think that we're so bold, brash, and powerful that we don't need our help. He says we're called to be accountable, called to be corrected. Second ministry, verses 6 through 8. Let me read it for you. The ministry of generosity. It says this. Now, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. For God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows... To his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is a clear teaching about how much skin you have in the game. 
Now, I, I get to rely on this word. I get to hide behind the word. I get to stand on the truth of the foundation of this word when I teach this today. And when I talk about what you give to this church, I want you to understand this is this word and not mine. Amen? And I'm also not afraid to tell you, you need to give to this church. And if you don't like the way that sounds, tough luck. It's the Bible. Amen. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Ready? You need to have some skin in the game in the local church. You got to have some skin in the game. And he uses his own example. He says to this church, let everyone who hears the teacher share everything with the teacher. Now, that's some good Holy Ghost boldness right there, right? He essentially says this. Now, I've been having some skin in the game. I've been pouring in my time, talent, and treasure into this church. And he writes to his churches that he's poured out his life and his blood and his sweat and his tears into. And he says, I've been pulling my weight. You? What have you been sowing into this church? What have you been giving into this church? What have you been doing to demonstrate that this is your church, your family, you're called here? And that's a hard teaching, amen? And if I were to just say this with this Bible closed, you'd be like, yo, that dude is mean as a hornet. And it would still be true. So let me ask you this today. There are people in this church who are pouring their whole lives into you. We have pastors and deacons, team leaders, Small group leaders, staff, who wake up in the morning with a burden for you, burning for you to come to a better understanding of Christ, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, Christ alive in you. They give up their time. They're here every Sunday morning. They're there on Monday nights when we have deacon prayer. When I told them we were going to two services, they were like, so what time do I got to get up on that Sunday? Four? Cool. I'm in. They spend weekends together. They spend Tuesday nights in a small group. They're gathering on Thursdays to find better ways to reach out. They're pouring their whole lives into it. And the truth of the matter is, is that they're doing it because they're called to it, because they love the Lord, and they're desperate to see other people come to the same realization. And the Apostle Paul writes and says, how invested are you in this thing? And the reason he's able to say this with boldness, without fear that the church might think he was self-interested, without fear that the church would critique him or say that he's got his own agenda, he's able to say this because he's able to understand that it was Christ who gave his life for the bride, for Jesus paid it all. And because he did it, I'm going to give my all too. And he looks at the church and says, how much of your all do we have yet? Have you given of your time? Do you show up or is being on time too much for you? Have you given of your talent? Are you gifted in a mighty way, but you don't give it to the church? Everyone else gives it, but the church doesn't get it, and you're not sure if they understand you, and you don't want to serve, and it's too long, and it's too thankless, and it's too hard, but everyone else can see you. And we find out that you're gifted, and we wonder, what? why not here? Or maybe here's here's the real hard part. Maybe you just don't give. And you've told yourself you will never give. There is no biblical precedent, no teaching, no word, no exhortation, no prophecy, and no law that says that is righteous Christian living. You won't find it, you can't contrive it, and you can't prove it. 
And you keep coming to this church or any church, we call ourselves believers and we don't give because that's not my anointing. I'm going to tell you right now, that's going to be a very hard conversation at the gate with the king. No, no, I don't do that part. Well, I did everything the father asked of me. Jesus might look you in the face and say there were some seasons in my life where I really thought, Lord, if you could just take this cup from me, I'd rather not. And, and yet you had a difficult time serving, a difficult time attending, a difficult time giving. Why? I know it got real uncomfortable in here today. Amen. Shake the wiggles off, okay? Shake them off. It's all right. We'll get it. We'll get it. Okay. He's not yelling at me. He's yelling at you. Tell your neighbor. <laughs> He's mad at you. I'm telling you this because I deeply love you, church. And I, I'm doubly judged as the pastor of this church, and I won't stand before the king. And he said, did you tell him to do all the things I asked him to do? And I said, I don't want to talk about money because I thought they might think I was mean. I got to tell you about this stuff, your time and your talent and your treasures, so that you can pour into this church that God loves so much. Amen? Amen. And the reason we do this is because how and what you sow matters to God. You've heard this passage of scripture often quoted, misquoted, misinterpreted, and used too many times, but the application is very, very clear. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Understand this. God feels it as mocking when you hear the word of the Lord and deliberately disobey it. He does not say, this is what you should do. Hope you guys come around. If not, it's no big deal. No, when God sets forth his standard for his church and we say, I like that part and that part, not that part, good grief, no way. This is good and that. He does not see it as an optional pick and choose, choose your own adventure. God sees it as you mocking him and he will not be deceived. Sin is rebellion in the king's eyes. Amen? And whatever you sow, well, that what, that's what you'll reap. He says, if you sow into the spirit, and that means sow in faith, so in love, so in trusting him. You say, well, I thought we were talking about money. Oh, we are. Because how many of y'all have given, and it hasn't been about the dollar amount, it's been about the trust in your heart. You ever, rent, you ever write a check to the church and just pray they lose it in Jesus' name? That <laughs> would be really great if, they could just, if you could just, just in the trash accidentally. That would be phenomenal. I hope you see my heart in Jesus' name. Because sometimes it's not about the doing, it's about the heart behind the doing. And that which you sow, that which you will reap. And so God's not looking for a dollar amount. You said, how much am I supposed to give? You give as the Lord would give you utterance. You give as, the God, as God calls you to. What if he calls me to give a lot? Give a lot. My wife and I used to do this thing when we were at the church that we, we were trained in. We, we would, when, when there would be a special offering, because when offering come, we'd always just tithe, no matter what. We were too afraid of God. We didn't want to mess that thing up, no matter what, right? Because we skipped tithing one time, and our whole life fell apart in Jesus' name. We were like, we're good. And then our, my car broke down. Her car broke down. I got a judgment. My wages were garnished. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So we always gave after that. And then we did this thing where whenever a secondary offering would come around. Because I don't know how many of y'all come from a charismatic church where there'd be multiple offerings. Am I talking to anybody? You'd be like, this is the ninth offering. I am out of money. I have nothing. Here's my shoe. When the offering would come around, we would say, you pray and I'll pray. And whichever number is higher is what we'll give. Yeah, I know. 
That's truly like marriage stuff, right? And so we'd pray. Amen. Okay, cool. And I'd be like, what'd you get? And she'd go, no, no, you first. I was like, I feel, I'm feeling like 12, 13 bucks. And invariably, she would be like, I was thinking more like 2,000. And I'd be like, that is the devil. Uh, that is. Those of us who are spiritual need to restore your thinking. I was worried. But we knew that if the Lord had called us to it, that the Lord had the ability for it to work in our favor. Amen? And I can't tell you how many times that I would give <laughs> the higher number. And just be like, you better stop talking to her. <laughs> and watch as God would go before us in a mighty fashion. Bills that we couldn't pay would be paid. Money that wasn't there at the end of the month was there at the, and at the next month. Checks would come in the mail. And I'm not a prosperity preacher, but I'm going to tell you right now, for those who are good stewards of their time, their talent, and their treasure, there is a blessing of prosperity in Jesus' name. Amen? There came a time in our life I was like, we got more money? She's like, no. I'm like, let's put it on the credit card. Let's give and see what God will do. Because God loves a cheerful giver, and he calls every one of us to have skin in the game here. The call is that the best of your fruits are given here. You can sing, sing here. You're good with kids, spark kids here. You're blessed with finances, give here. You love people, love here. Teach, teach here. Preach, preach here. It's here. And the reason is because this is God's plan A. The church has always been his best plan for his people to be raised up. You said, but I give to a couple other organizations. Cool, those are not God's plan A. Hear me. But, but we like to make sure that we spread our money around. Cool. That's not God's plan A. Your best and brightest first fruits come to the church. Amen? The ministry of generosity. Last part, the ministry of caring. I'm going to push you, and we're going to trust the Lord to see what he does for the end of this service today. Uh, verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Are you sensing the theme of the teaching today? The best is here. This last party, he ends his teaching in this letter. Paul has penned this beautiful letter, the theme of which is growing in our maturity and Christian liberty to understand that putting our trust in him holds nothing back from us but gives us the freedom to become all that God's called us to be. And right before he writes his final salutation, you'll see that start in verse 11, he finishes his teaching to land on this same nail over and over again. Let us take care of each other. And it's the ministry of care that each of us is called to. Now, let's just call a spade a spade. Doing good is hard work. I don't know anybody <laughs> who runs into being burnt out by sin. But I hear all the time people who are in the church doing good say, I feel burnt out. 
Isn't that interesting? I don't meet a lot of people who club every single night and do drugs and party, say I'm burnt out. You know what happens? They burn out. And then they're like, oops. But for some reason, we are keenly aware, we're sensitive to the feeling of fatigue and weariness when we do good according to God's will in our life. And the reason is because fatigue and weariness, discouragement, lethargy, laziness, depression, anxiety, those are all unique attacks of the enemy significantly and specifically placed upon the hearts and minds of God's people when they say yes to God's work. Simply stated, if you're tweeting or taking notes today, do good and make the enemy mad. That's how it works. Once you get serious about God, you get a big old target on your chest, and the enemy and all of his dumb demons start making assignments and going after you. Here's the trouble is that a lot of us never really feel under attack. It's because a lot of us... Mm. Holy Spirit, let me say this super nice, right? Because a lot of us are wearing Team Jesus jerseys, but our loyalties lie elsewhere. I know when someone's real serious about God because we get late night text messages. Okay, so my car broke down and they broke into my house and my boyfriend broke up with me and I have no money. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're getting it. Hallelujah. And Chanel's like, I can't type that back. I'm like, yo, that's not true. You can't say that. Truth of the matter is, is that if you really get serious about God, the enemy gets serious about you. And that's why it is so common for so many of us who get serious about God to feel like it's harder than it really is. And so the Apostle Paul writes right to that circumstance in the life of every person who's pushing in to God. And he says, and I love this because it's almost a little too painful. He says, let us not grow weary. Ready? He said, I know you feel tired. Don't. That's what he says. He says, I, I know you're getting serious about God and you're getting a little weary. Don't. Have you ever had somebody tell you how to feel? You just be in a bad mood and they're like, stop acting like that. Don't you tell me how to act. The Apostle Paul doesn't even sweeten up the conversation. He says, don't grow weary. And he says it because he understands that because of the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in the life of every believer, you have the ability to bear the fruit of self-control. We talked about this. Last week, we talked about temperance and the ability to resist temptation and to choose what's right. That same self-control gives you the ability to see weariness, see fatigue, and decide, nope. You said, hold on, pastor. I got to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you right now. I, I believe you, but I am dead tired. Oh, I didn't say you couldn't feel tired. I told you that you didn't. You, you don't have to choose tired. See, when the Apostle Paul says this, he's talking to us about what we do with what we feel. The Bible tells us we can feel nearly anything, but what we do with what we feel matters. He says, be angry, but sin, so don't grow weary. What do you mean? I can't feel tired? You can feel tired, but don't let tired make all your decisions. He says, I understand that when you get serious about God, you will go through seasons where you need to rest, but don't let that rest interrupt the way in which you serve. You need a Sabbath more than you need a month off. 
You say, well, I might need some time. Cool. What does your time look like every morning? Are you with the Lord? Do you pray? Do you study? Do you dive in? Do you find rest in Jesus? Because here's what you may not understand. Jesus is our rest. And for those of us who would lean into Jesus and find rest, we don't have to succumb to the need to take a break from the things of Jesus and then find our rest. Y'all with me? Is this, is, this, is this hard? Is this hard? I know it's hard when my wife is like, oh, no, no, babe. <laughs> Hear my heart. You're allowed to get tired. But don't you quit. You're allowed to get worried, fearful, fatigued. You're allowed to feel like, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I don't know if I'm bearing much fruit. I don't know if it's the right place for me. You're allowed to feel all of those things. But don't you give in and don't you let go. Don't you give up because we need you here. You need, to take, you need to take a moment, take a moment. In fact, can we go with you in your moment? Can we feed you, love you, hug you, hold you? But don't you go away from the us because you think you're tired. The us is where we grow. The us is where we get better. The us is where we find our fuel and our fire. I got a pastor friend, he's in Salt Lake City. They've been going through hell and high water. He is a gifted preacher, a gifted teacher, a gifted leader. And I texted him this last week and I said, how's it going? And he said, dude, I think I'm at the end. What's going on? I'm just tired. And it doesn't matter what I do, it just doesn't work. And I don't even know what to say. Because you know, sometimes there's nothing to say. And so this morning, I just prayed with him, and I reminded him of this phrase, in due season. Maybe not right now, maybe not today, but in, in due season, in God's time, when the harvest is on his clock, we will reap if... He said, if what? If we don't give up. And that's it. I wish that I could tell you that there was a seven-step plan for fail-proof Christian living that would get you from here to there and guarantee your slide into home and Jesus' face safe. Amen? But there's not. The Bible is clear. Those who endure until the end, Matthew 24, will be saved. This faith of ours is a war of attrition. It is about just keeping moving forward. What if I'm tired? Just keep moving forward. What if I'm fatigued? Just keep moving forward. What if I feel like my world is falling around? Then get out of that world and keep moving forward because God's got something for you. I want to tell you today, this is hard work that we do. The gospel is a challenging thing to live out. Service is difficult. But you can't do it alone. And yet you're still called to do it, so we're called to do it together. That's the teaching today. I'm going to ask the band to play in just a minute. We're going to worship, but I want to make an invitation today down here at this altar. This week as I was praying, I felt the Lord stir something in my heart that maybe is you. Each and every one of you is called to ministry. No matter where you are in your life, what your circumstances are, every one of you is called specifically to these three ministries to bear your fruit, to correct and hold one another accountable, to be generous with your time, talent, and treasure, 
and to care for one another, all within the context of this church. And the teaching is clear. We give here before we give anywhere else. And as I was praying, I felt like the Lord said, I've been calling and calling and calling, and they haven't picked up the phone yet. And one thing I, I've noticed over the life of leading this church is that God is awfully stubborn when he calls you. Amen? I don't know about you, but every time God's opened a door and I've refused to walk through it, he's just broken everything in the hallway that I stood in. Or every time God's closed the door and I kept trying to push it open, God would break my ability to push. God has this uncanny knack of shaking the world up around you to get your attention. And as I was praying this week, I heard the Lord say, I've been calling and calling. And so I started stirring and stirring. Then I started shaking and shaking. And now I'm going to start breaking and breaking. I sense that you have been in a season in this room. I know there's, I know there's, I know that there's plenty of you where your whole life has been getting turned upside down lately. Everything that used to work doesn't work. All of the things that makes, made you comfortable don't make you comfortable anymore. You've been feeling a sense of, uh, of discontent lately, and, and you're not sure what it is, but you just know that God's doing something, and you're, and you're ready for him to take you all the way in. I don't know if that's, if that's you, but I know that there are those of you here in this room, the Lord told me today to tell you that he is shaking your life so that you'll answer the call. And some of it, it's been pretty abrupt. He's been breaking some things off your life you were pretty sure you needed, amen. But for some of us, he's been breaking traditional thinking off you. You used to think faith looked like this, and he said, I'm going to break that. You're no longer comfortable, no longer content doing these things, and now you know there's something deeper. That's you. I want to do something today that we've never done in our church, and I know today is the right day. We're going to end our time of worship together in consecration. Today, if you know that it's you that the Lord has been calling and stirring and shaking, and breaking, I'm going to invite you to come down to the altar, and I'm going to anoint you, consecrate you, and get you ready to answer the call of God on your life. Mama Rosa is going to come down here and join me. I'm going to come down here right now in just a second, but if this is you, I want to do something that helps the flow today. If you're on this side of the church, I'm going to ask you to come down this aisle, and I'm going to meet you here, and we're going to anoint you one by one. If you're on this side, I'm going to ask you to go up and around so that as we exit, we have one flow. I want to make sure we don't miss anybody today. You're here, and you know he's been calling you to ministry, calling you to more. I want to pray with you today. Would you stand to your feet all over the room? We're going to worship together. And if that's you, I'd like to meet you right down here.